Let us now call upon the name of the Lord in prayer and ask his blessing over this worship service. Gracious God and Father, it is on this special day that we humble ourselves before you and that we come together to praise your great name. For you have brought us to the end of the year 2010. As your people, we may come together to celebrate the end of yet another year. We thank you, O Lord, for the opportunity to do that together as your people, that together we may show our thankfulness and dedication to you, for we have good reason to do so. You have taken care of us in so many ways. You were true to your covenant promises. Time and again in this past year, we could hear your covenant proclaimed to the little children of this congregation at the time of their baptism. And time and again we could sit around the table of the Lord to commemorate the death and the triumph over death of your dear Son on our behalf. Also, some young people could publicly profess their faith and declare to all that they want to follow their Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for these privileges. We thank you for your faithfulness and that your faithfulness may also be evident in us in many ways. For the pews were full every first day of the week, and faithfulness was shown in the way that we wanted to live in accordance with your covenant laws, and also in the way that we wanted to give of ourselves, in the way that we contributed to you and to your church. O Lord, you are the one who has provided for us, and you have given us food and clothing and shelter. You have given us in abundance, and you gave us also many things to be busy with in this past year. You gave us jobs to do. You gave us work to do in the church, and jobs to do in helping others. And you gave us freedom to go to church, to attend catechism classes, and to study together in study societies. And we could receive Christian education in our school and at home. Lord, many people do not have these things. All over this world we find that your people are oppressed. And Lord, you have privileged us in that we can serve you freely. And we thank you, Heavenly Father. You also gave us renewed and renovated facilities to worship you in. May these surroundings remind us of the riches that you have given us in our personal lives, and especially, O Lord, that you have given us in our spiritual lives, that we give thanks to you. And Father, we thank you that you have provided for us in ways which we do not even realize You have given us especially the ministry of your word. Time and again, we could have your word proclaimed from this pulpit. We could hear about your faithfulness. We could hear about the relationship that you have established with us and of the great hope that we may have. You also gave us the means to support mission, mission aid at home and abroad. And you gave us the means to provide for the needy as well. And we thank you, Heavenly Father. Grant that we may continue to use the resources that you have given us to the furtherance of your kingdom. 
However, Father, at times you were also saddened. We also have had to, do, to go to the graveyard to bury loved ones. Comfort and strengthen all those who lost loved ones. And comfort all of us, O Lord. Yet, we can also experience joy, even in those moments. For we may know that you are faithful to your covenant promises. And that those who die in the Lord remain with you forever. For nothing can separate us from your love. Father in heaven, be with the elderly and the ailing. Grant that they may seek your help in these and all circumstances. Bless them and their families, and help them all to trust in you alone. We confess that our lives are in your hands. Bless us during this worship service. Be with all those who are involved in the worship service, the organist, the sound technician, the ushers, those in the babysit, and all others. And be also with those who would love to be here today, but are not able. Also bless them, and may they also feel your presence and experience your blessings in the new year. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us now open God's word together and read from Romans 8, the verses 18 through 39. We will read Psalm 121 when we come to the text. But first we will read from Romans 8, starting with verse 18 through to verse 39. And we will sing together from Psalm 121, the stanzas 1, 2, 3, and 4, after we have read from that passage. Romans 8, starting with verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. 
Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that who was, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord.
text for this New Year's Eve service is taken from Psalm 121. Let's read that psalm together. A song of ascents. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. After the sermon, we will sing together from hymn 10, the stanzas 1, 9, and 10. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, the psalm that I've chosen to preach on this New Year's Eve service is a well-known psalm. We often read from it to comfort those who are about to experience some perilous event before surgery, for example, or before a long trip. This psalm promises you that God watches over you and that nothing will harm you. But to tell you the truth, in the past I've had some difficulty with this psalm. Perhaps that is true of you as well. Is it really true that God will protect you from accidents or from the slip of a knife of a doctor who performs surgery? Does he protect you from slipping and sliding or from breaking your leg? or from having a car accident. Yet, that is what this psalm is telling us. The Lord, it says, will keep you from all harm. But is that always the case? There are all kinds of things that can and that do harm us. As we look forward to the new year, we also know that anything can happen to us. Some of us may be diagnosed with cancer. Someone else may fall off a roof and seriously injure himself. Or you can get into a collision with your vehicle. Car accidents also happen to Christians. Some of us may even die. All of these things have happened to some of us in this past year. And there is no reason to think that that's not going to happen in the new year. These things happen to us in spite of the prayers that we send up to God, asking him that we do not come to harm. And so, how do we interpret this psalm? Is this psalm merely expressing a wish? Is it just giving some false hope? Well, brothers and sisters, as I studied this psalm in the light of the scriptures, then I came to the realization what a wonderful and what a comforting psalm this really is. 
and how true it is that God does protect us from all harm. However, you have to understand what this psalm is saying, what it is all about. And this psalm teaches you to realize how God really works in our lives. How he is a present help to us at all times. And that is what I will preach to you about this evening. The theme is as follows. The Lord will help us and protect us from all harm. The author of this psalm says that he lifts up his eyes to the hills or to the mountains. What hills or what mountains is he talking about? Well, nobody seems to be sure. I read many commentaries on this passage, and they all come with different interpretations. The one states that the mountains refer to the mountains along the road from Jerusalem to the pilgrim's home. Others think that the mountains refer to the hills the the pilgrim will encounter along the way as he departs from home and makes his way to Jerusalem to attend one of the great festivals, such as Passover, for example. Again, others believe that the hills are the hills near Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built on Mount Zion, and that is where you look to as you seek your help from God. For that is where God has his dwelling, in Jerusalem, in the temple. There are also those who think that those hills or mountains belong to the hills of Babylon. The people are preparing to return home from the exile and see before them the great obstacle in the way of the mountains. And they ask for God's help as they prepare themselves to go through that difficult terrain. There are even those who think that the hills refer to the high places where the pagan gods were believed to live. The psalmist then says that he lifts up his eyes to the high places, to the hills, but then he remembers that his help is not from those hills where the pagan gods supposedly dwell, but from God who made heaven and earth. Which explanation is the right one? Well, we have to read exactly what it says. It is simple enough, in my opinion. No specific mountains are mentioned, and so nor should we. It makes most sense to see this as a reference to the mountains in general, to the mountains wherever you encounter them. Mountains remind us of God's presence. When you look at the mountains, then you look up to them, and you see how majestic they are. And then you also look beyond the mountains to where God is. You see God's mighty hand in his creation as represented by the mountains and his presence beyond the mountains in heaven. But when you think of the mountains, you also think of the dangers that lurk there. There are deep ravines, narrow paths, and slippery slopes. One misstep and you can seriously hurt yourself or even get killed. Or an avalanche can bury you in the snow. There are also dangerous animals in the mountains. That's where the wild bears are that live there and that can rip you apart. The kinds of dangers you face in the mountains represent the kinds of dangers that you encounter in life. There are many things that can undo you. 
there are first of all physical dangers. Think about the many kinds of things that can happen to us. Think about how vulnerable we are. There are numerous ways in which we could come to physical harm in the new year through illnesses, accidents, wars, natural disasters. We could also be harmed spiritually or mentally. Satan is always trying to trip us up. He will try to find ways of making us forget about God. He wants us to be angry all the time about the bad things that can happen to us. He wants us to blame others. He wants us to blame God. Trouble comes in many forms. As the Lord Jesus says in John 16 verse 33, In this world you will have trouble. But he also says further in that same verse, But take heart, I have overcome the world. And so we have to trust in the Lord. That's also what the author of this psalm says. He is confident that he will protect him no matter what may come to him. He looks at the mountains and remembers that God is the one who made them. These mountains remind him of God's great strength. They remind him of everything that God stands for. They remind him of the fact that we can count on God's divine help his divine protection, and his divine care and watchfulness. That we can expect all these things from the Lord our God. The psalmist is certain of that. And indeed, that's also what the scriptures tell us throughout. In the Old Testament, we frequently find the expression that the Lord God is the only one who can truly help us. That's also true in the New Testament. We read in Hebrews 13, verse 5 and 6, that God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And therefore the author of this letter says, so we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid, what can man do to me? And that's also what we confess every time we begin a worship service together. We confess together that our help is in the name of the Lord, who is the maker of heaven and earth. And because we trust in him, we also ask him to protect us from harm, for we know what he is capable of. But how are we to understand this? There are those who use this psalm and the other assurances of God's help and protection like an insurance policy. They only turn to God when something goes wrong. They call upon his name when they are in trouble. That's how you use travel insurance. You buy such insurance to give you peace of mind during your trip, that when you experience some kind of calamity, that then you have the great resources of a large insurance company available to you to help you when you get into trouble. You have the assurance that when you become suddenly sick or have an accident in a foreign country, that then the insurance will kick in and the company will go to bat for you. They will help you arrange medical help and even transport you back home to a hospital near your home to where your friends and relatives live. You count on the insurance company also to deal with all the paperwork and with the various foreign authorities. And then once the crisis is over and you are restored to health, then you can forget about the insurance company. You say, thank you very much for your help. I will call on you again another time when I'm in trouble. But now I don't need you anymore. 
If that is how we treat God's help, then it is no wonder that some people become disappointed in life or even in God. You only look to God to see you through a crisis. And when that does not happen in the way that you expect or in the way that you want, then you wonder why God wasn't there to help you. You see, God does not help us in that way. He is not like an insurance company that only helps you through a crisis. God helps us in a much different way and in a much more meaningful way. God stands by you all the time. He is always at your side. As the psalmist says, He who watches over you will not slumber. He who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. In that sense, he is not like the gods of the pagans who, just like human beings, need sleep and get tired. That is because these gods are the product of man's imagination. The heathen nations made up their own gods, and they mimicked the lives of human beings. For that reason, Elijah poked fun at the priests of Baal, who looked to him to help them. He said to the priests, shout louder. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought, or busy, or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping, and must be awakened. 1 Kings 18, verse 27. The God of Israel, the psalmist reminds us, is different. Our God watches over his covenant people all the time. Also, he watches over you and me. But you have to be aware of God's presence. Paul writes to the Romans who are experiencing all kinds of difficulties. They were suffering. And then he puts it all into perspective for them. He first acknowledges their pain. He speaks about the whole creation that has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. As many women of this congregation know, childbirth is painful. Well, says Paul, so is life here on earth. Oh, sure, there are many things that we can enjoy, and there are many times where we do not experience pain, and that's wonderful, but we all know that painful things can and do happen. They will certainly happen in our lifetime. There are many frustrations, and you will experience pain and sorrow also in the coming year. We cannot, ex we cannot escape pain, for our bodies and our minds are mortal. We will all die at one time or another. There is no escaping it. But then Paul comes with the wonderful comfort that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us, he says. In other words, the pain and sorrow that we experience in this life will come to an end. God has created us for glory. Glory has to do with absolute bliss. It has to do with a life that knows no sorrow. It has to do with a life that knows only joy. And that is why he says further on that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Brothers and sisters, that includes you boys and girls. These are key words. He works for the good of those who love him, he says who love him all the time, who are aware of his presence all the time. When your foot slips and you break your leg, 
then God is right there with you. Or when you are diagnosed with cancer or some other terminal illness, then God is also right there beside you. He doesn't sleep or slumber. And he is also there with you during times of good health and prosperity. Then he is right beside you as well. He is, as the psalm says, at your right hand. In other words, he is nearby. You can be absolutely sure of that. For he is the creator of heaven and earth, and he is also your creator. But how is God present, you may ask? Well, lift your eyes up to the hills, to the mountains. As I said, the mountains refer to God's presence. God's people know that the law of God was given to them on top of Mount Sinai. It is on the mountain, on that mountain, that God gave the two tables of the law containing the ten words of the covenant to Moses. And Moses had to pass that on to God's people. And in those ten words, God reminds his covenant people that he is the one who delivered them from Egypt, from the land of slavery. And their help comes from the Lord. And that's true of us as well. But do we avail ourselves of God's help? For example, do we keep God's commandments? For that is why he gave them to us. To help us through life. He gives those ten commandments to keep his people safe and secure. To keep them from going down the wrong path. And so, brothers and sisters, that is one important way in which we experience God's presence. As we go through life, we have to remember how God has delivered also us. He has delivered us from sin. He has delivered us through His Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And the Ten Commandments also function for us. Do you want to be safe in this new year? Do you want to escape from trouble? Do you want to know how to handle life as other people make things difficult for you or as your health deteriorates? Then think about the laws that God has given to you. First of all, think about the gospel that belongs to the law, namely that God is your deliverer. And then also think about the laws themselves. Don't bring trouble upon yourself by not keeping God's law. For by keeping God's commandments, you will not come to harm. For example, they will protect you from becoming too attached to this world. For the first commandment tells you to make God number one in your life. Not your home, not your business, not your bank account, not your surgeon, not your children. Don't trust in any of those things or in any of those people, but trust in God. And you will have peace. In the second commandment, God tells you not to make any idols for yourself. Don't make an idol of yourself. As someone who needs to be worshipped and honored, honor God. Don't make an idol of anything that you find here on earth. And do not take God's name in vain. In other words, remember that you are a child of God and that you represent him. Honor him above all else. 
and keep the day of rests. Worship him. Be regular in your church going. For it is in church that you are reminded of your relationship with the Lord your God. That is where you receive food. Spiritual food for the rest of the week. So that you can have a peaceful time in your life. And so we can go through all the commandments to remind us of how God is near us in his word. For he gives us his word and spirit to be close to us always. He is not like some assurance agent that we call upon in a crisis. No, he is the almighty God who stands by you every moment of each day, 24-7. Look to the hills. Think of Calvary. It was on the hill just outside of Jerusalem that the Lord Jesus was crucified. He died for your sake. He paid for our sins. And there he allowed himself to be abandoned, not only by men, but by God himself. There he took on all our sins so that we can be delivered from them. And it was there that he could be victorious over death. For they laid him in a grave, and on the third day he rose again. The Lord Jesus died so that he could give us life. For we can share in his resurrection. Look to the hills. Look to Calvary. To Golgotha. And when you think of the mountains, think also of the Mount of, Mount of Olives. It is there that the Lord Jesus bodily ascended into heaven. He took our flesh with him as a guarantee that we will also be with him into eternity. And now he is seated at the right hand of God where he pleads our cause. From there he sends us his help. For he comes to us with his Holy Spirit. He saves us from our sins. And that is why Paul could come in the same passage where he speaks about the groanings of this present world. He could come with the triumphant statement. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? He is always with us. He is always there to help us. Do you know what that means? That means that he is not just there when we go to church or when we read the Bible at home or when we pray. He is not just there when we practice our religion. No, he is interested in every aspect of your life. He is interested in you, young children, as you play. God is right beside you to help you and to protect you from harm. And he is with you, teenagers and young adults, as you work or play on your computer. He is also there when you are busy repairing cars or laying carpets or when you are in the kitchen preparing a meal. He is right there beside you to help you. But do you know what the problem is? The problem is that we often do not avail ourselves of this help in the way that we should. We want to do things on our own. We want to do things in our own strength. 
And we think about God only when we are in trouble or when we need Him for some other reason. And what about all the other activities in our lives? Let me ask you, young people, do you ask for God's help as you look for a marriage partner? Do you ask for God's help as you make career choices? And all of you, do you ask for God's help when you try to overcome an addiction? Do you ask for help as you deal with the weakness of your flesh? Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, the Lord our God, he is our Emmanuel, our God with us. As you experience trouble in this life, and as you experience the frailty of human existence, then you can remember what God has done for you and the great hope that he has given you. He is the one who gave you life. In spite of the pains and sorrows that you may experience in this life, he is always with you, and he will be with you also in this coming year. Listen to what the Lord Jesus Christ said as he ascended into heaven. He said in Matthew 28, verse 20, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In stating that, he he doesn't just give you some false hope. This psalm is not just expressing some wish either, which God does not fulfill. He is with you in adversity, and in prosperity. With him you are always safe. For there is absolutely nothing that will separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that will also be the case in the new year. And so put your trust in God, and indeed you will never come to harm. Amen.